Welcome to The Mindful Mess with Gene and Matt. I'm Gene. And I'm Matt. Let's make sense of our mess together. together. Hey, everyone. This is Matt. I'm a psychiatrist who is a queer, autistic, and an ex-Mormon survivor of trauma from conversion therapy. As an empath with emotionally impulsive nature, I seek growth in managing my reactions while learning how others experience the world. And a little bit about me, I'm Jean. Um, I am a first-generation queer Chinese-American, um, and I'm a fitness professional working in the city. Um, and a lot of what I'm bringing uh, to this conversation is uh, actually learning a little bit about the culture gap that I've kind of experienced my whole life and figuring out how to navigate my life experience through that cultural lens. Um, and I identify as someone who's uh, very analytical and very philosophical, but what I want to bring forth in this podcast is to uh, learn how to bring more emotionality to those conversations and ascribe deeper meaning to the things that we experience in our lives. We feel like uh, we both kind of bring two very different experiences and we hope that we can impart um, some of that on each other mm -hmm. um, in a way to find balance in our lives. Yeah. And we hope you guys enjoy, enjoy the ride with us. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are returned after a somewhat short hiatus, I yeah. suppose. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Matt, you've been um, out for a couple of weeks, but traveling and spending some quality time and mm -hmm. um, working on some really important projects. Um, actually, mm -hmm. this is maybe a good time to maybe talk about this project. Do you want to share a little bit what you're working on? Um, yeah, so I've, I've mentioned it before, but um, it's, uh, you know, it's really coming together. Um, but, uh, and I just uh, publicly announced um, that I am writing a book, um, and I uh, have a working title that I think is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. um, it's Pride and Prejudice, Healing Division in the Modern Family. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's all about um, the, just the divisiveness that's in our country and um, how um, so much in the way of diversity is being silenced or squashed and, uh, and the, um, there's this really... Um, troubling kind of tribalism or that like us versus them um, that's uh, pretty rampant um, and when we should be coming together um, people are being driven farther apart even families and um, loved ones uh, it's pretty unfortunate that that's the case mm. and a lot of uh, people are being hurt in the in the process okay yeah um, so my understanding is that <clears throat> some of this is personal accounts. This is a little bit of your own life story, mm -hmm. but then it expands to become a greater conversation about these, these phenomena that you were describing. Yeah. And so pulls together research and to some degree and mm -hmm. narratives. Yeah. So it'll be about my personal experience of growing up, um, queer in a Mormon household um with a republican congressman for a dad um so very like staunch republican family 
um, who, you know, initially were, um, like quite rejecting of my, um, my sexual identity. And, um, as a result, I dealt with a lot of, um, like internal conflict and shame and went through conversion therapy. Um, and so he used that to, um, really just like highlight the harms of othering or like treating people um, as problems just because they're different or you see them as different um, rather than finding common ground and um, and coming together learning being curious about each other and um, trying to um, understand others perspectives mm. do you think that that's <clears throat> Do you think that there's a modern twist to this kind of othering mentality? Mm, how do you mean? Like a modern twist? Meaning that have we, is this kind of like a we've always been this way sort of conversation? And here's, it, it's rearing its ugly head in these types of ways now. Do you think it's the kind of thing where we've gone through periods of greater community and greater togetherness as families, as communities, as nations, as uh, species? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think there's probably always been some of this, um, but usually it's like families coming together and seeing people outside of them as outsiders. But now, like, I mean, more and more we see that even within families are treating their loved ones as outsiders um, because there's so much more visibility for diverse identities, even within the same family, um, whereas maybe before there wasn't as much of that. Um, and it was like, we're all the same, but they're different. Um, I mean, you've seen, they're like, <clears throat> when you think about a history of othering based on like class or race or um now of course gender um that uh, now maybe that was that could pit people against each other um, um especially like if you had a um, a feminist growing up in a really conservative family um there might be some of that but i think more and more with like the increased visibility of queer identities and um, and of like more people who adopt a, uh, an accepting mindset of other cultures and races and yet their families might not, they're going to um, be um, kind of shut out or even like political identities um, are different within families and there. I think there's too much of um, just a quickness to shut down other people because they're different mm. or have different ideas. So this this <clears throat> transcends re religion and queerness and expands the definition or expands the conversation to any kind of contrasting qualities, contrasting belief systems, ideologies. Mm -hmm. Got it. And is it also, one more question about it, is, is it also looking at this from a like transcultural lens too? Do you think it's largely leaning into sort of like modern Western society or do you think it's meant to really just speak to the human psychology um, 
So, I mean, my perspective is going to be Western. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can't really speak for other cultures. Um, but, I mean, this is a, a human issue. Um, Definitely. And while we might be one of the most, like, heterogeneous culture or societies here in the U.S., um, and therefore experiencing maybe more division as a result of that, um, I think that it's still something that's seen um, regardless of culture. I think it's seen everywhere in some degree. Yeah. I guess the reason I brought that up is I do think a little bit about individualistic versus collectivist Right. individualist versus collectivist cultures. Mm -hmm. But I think even then, there's always an undertone. Even collectivist cultures will look at people from outside of their culture and being like, they're not like us. Mm -hmm. So I think, yes, on any level, even even when there is perhaps a an espoused set of beliefs about unity and community and social harmony, it breaks down somewhere mm -hmm. in the system. Um, well, that's fascinating, and I'm excited for you. Um, when's Thanks. this book set to? Uh, yeah, when's this book set to launch, publish, whatever the terminology is? Yeah, it's uh, it's set to um, come out next spring. Okay. Yeah, so spring 2024, um, assuming everything goes according to plan. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's that's exciting. We're looking forward to. I'm looking forward to reading it and and celebrating it when it comes out um Ooh. and that brings us to that brings us to today's topic of conversation which we which we feel is lightly inspired by the work that you're doing on your book now and matt do you want to introduce the topic and lead us in a little bit yeah so today we're going to talk about embracing diversity uh, and the importance of self-acceptance in that this is episode 17 by the way <laughs> Yeah, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, going a little out of order, but go ahead now. <laughs> um, and so, I don't know if you want to... Um, one of the, I guess, um, inspirations for our talk today is from Brene Brown, um, her book, Braving the Wilderness. Um, well, there's two quotes. <clears throat> um, and the first is, I don't know, do you want to read the first one? Sure. So the first quote from the book is, True belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. um, do we want to discuss that or do you want to present both quotes? I think... I think it would be good to maybe like yeah discuss that one first. Let's let's break it down a little bit. Okay. Um, well, where to begin? I mean, let yeah. let's talk about our reaction. What does that quote mean to us when we hear it? So one of the reasons I like this quote is it reminds me of um, when I was younger, and I remember. I think I. I um, I can't remember if I I I'm sure I like had said it to friends or I don't know, maybe it was a therapist or something. But I just remember when I was younger, there was so often where I just had recognized that I could be 
surrounded by people. Um, I could be like out with people at like a party or some kind of gathering and just feel alone. Um, and it wasn't until I started to, it was after, it was actually after a breakup. Um, probably my first really painful one. And, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that bracha rap is, uh, kind of giving me a little flimmy. Fighting back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um. No, I made a commitment to myself to, like, date myself um, after a breakup. And to just really spend time alone. Um, and I, and in doing so, I got to the point where when previously I w- could be surrounded by people and feel alone. Um, I got to the point where I could be alone but not feel lonely. Mm, so, like, really kind of a flip. Mm-hmm. A flip in both senses of in both senses of those circumstances, right? Your pres- the presence of others and your sense of self within those contexts. So you think there was a process by which, I mean, can you describe what, what you feel you experienced or went through or lessons or experience, uh, not experiences, but lessons or thoughts, realizations, um, places of peace that you that you were able to access as a result of spending some time by yourself yeah i mean i think i just did a lot of reflection and i got to know myself um and i think that you know when you get to really know someone i mean even whether it's yourself or another person it's hard to uh, I would like can understand like what they've been through. Um, it's hard to, I don't know, see them as, I guess, an outsider. And I think that's, I think I always even just saw myself that way. I saw myself as an outsider. Um, and I, that's kind of where, it, to me, it almost was like she's saying, it was like a spiritual practice. Like I actually had to, make be intentional about um getting to know myself and learning how to just like belong to myself mm-hmm. i'm curious to hear what is an example of if you can recall what is an example of self-discovery during that period i mean what did it look like was it kind of like huh I didn't realize I dot 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 or wow I really dot 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 more than I thought or less than I thought or you know do you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. give me a, a maybe a, a slightly more specific or tangible representation of those moments of becoming mm-hmm. more acquainted with yourself well yeah it was through that that I realized I wasn't an extrovert and mm-hmm. that I was actually an introvert um mm-hmm. Because I found that I really liked being by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and people always thought that I was an extrovert. And now, and you know, I, I, I do consider myself outgoing. But, um, but I realized that I actually liked to be home. And I liked to be on my own. And how did you, how did you measure that? What were the things 
that brought you to that realization? I mean, I got to the point where I would rather, I found myself preferring to um, do stuff alone than with other people. Mm. And did you feel a tension at that point? Was there any point of this where it's like, am I supposed to? Is, is there something odd about the fact that I prefer to be by myself? Did you ever have that clash of... I don't think so. Hmm. At first I was kind of afraid for it. Like, I and I, but I, I would like, like the thought of going and like eating at a restaurant alone, like felt intimidating. Hmm. Um, and I would feel like the need to have my phone out um, or like um, have like, there be something set there where so people thought that someone was going to come like join me that I wasn't just there by myself or something sure. like that um, oh dining alone is a unique kind of social pressure mm -hmm. I've definitely experienced this too and I've tried to take myself out on I have not tried to but I have <clears throat> taken myself to lunch and taken myself to dinner and, and if it's funny in some contexts it sort of seems like oh yeah this isn't a big thing but in, in others I'm like you're going to sit at a table across from no one and these are words i tell myself mm -hmm. anyway i'm kind of digressing here this is interesting to talk about so okay so you discovered that's an example of like a discovery with yourself you went through a period of being by yourself in order to know yourself i think an interesting question i would pose too is do you think it's possible to, I mean, I actually kind of know the answer. I know the answer is yes to a degree, but like, is it possible and how faithful is it to the experience to know yourself by way of, by way of your interaction with others as well? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I feel like I gauge a lot of the person that I am based on how I interact and how I respond to things. But I will say this, what brings to mind is that I sometimes struggle to mindfully consider my own self in those reactions. What I mean by that is, how am I reacting to my own actions when they are not um, triggered or instigated or whatever the word is, um, elicited by others, right? self my self-talk mm -hmm. and interestingly when i'm really lucid and i'm really on top of it i'm noticing those moments where i'm really cognizant of how i'm talking to myself and then when i'm a little bit more stressed or tired or distracted or whatever unfocused oftentimes that narrative will run right and i think that's a huge part of your relationship to yourself is knowing how you talk to yourself Mm -hmm. You know, because everyone, we don't all talk to ourselves out loud, but we certainly all talk to ourselves in our minds. Or I, I think we all do. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think for me, it kind of took being able to see myself a little better before I could really start to see how others saw me. Like, mm -hmm. truly. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I don't know. Was that 
what you were asking? <laughs> kind of. I, I mean, I, I'm wondering if I was even posing a, a, a legitimate question at that point, more so than just throwing ideas out there. Yeah. Um, well, what is, I mean, what does that mean to you? This quote, believing and belonging to yourself so deeply. I, I mean, I think it, it raises conf- conflicting feelings because I feel like in some times, there's times at which I feel like I really do know myself. And then there's times where I'm like, I really don't. I'm really shocked, in fact, by how much I don't know myself. Or so sometimes give me an example. I find times where I'm also like, what parts of me are actually me? <clears throat> okay. What do you mean? So when, you, when people ask, like, let's say... The exercise of describing how I describe myself versus how other people might describe me. Or at least what other people have literally told me to my face, how they see me. Right? And so what'll happen, just to give an example, you know, I'll get feedback from people saying things like, oh, like, you're a really great listener. Um, You're... um, you're like thorough and you're articulate when you think you seem to really put a lot of thought behind what you say um and so it's like it's very complimentary in that sense um and people will also tell me that they think i come up come across as confident and i'm kind of like really um because a lot of times in my mind i'm thinking to myself i'm constantly like perhaps it's this underlying this underlying backdrop of like anxiety and the, the tendency to overthink things but I'm oftentimes thinking to myself like um you know I I feel like I'm always grasping for the right thing to say I feel like um uh I feel like people say things to me and I zone out and I'm not always like really good at paying attention um I I like feel like I'm a forgetful person a lot of times. I've, my partner has heard this to no end. I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm so forgetful. And then he's like, I can think of four times, four, four instances in the last two or three days where you remembered something that n- nobody around, nobody else in the room remembers. Um, and so like, I, it's like interesting because I sometimes see myself in a very different light. And I think I hold myself to a, such a more scrutinous lens in some of these ways in it just in terms of like personality traits and my desire to achieve and my desire to present a certain way and so yeah sometimes i kind of think to myself like how cons- like i wonder about that difference in how i see myself versus how others have told me and have described me and these are people that i care about and trust and whose opinion of me actually feels honest and also matters to me. And so that's always very interesting. And I also think a little bit about what parts of me are, quote, really me, or what parts of me are, quote, the me that I'm supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. I was just having a chat with like my therapist today about this. And we framed it through the conversation of the id, the ego, and the superego. Mm-hmm. There's all the things that, all the ways that we behave because we believe that's how we should behave. And then there's all the ways that we behave because it's sort of what we truly impulsively want in those moments. 
But then it raises the question of like, you know, if you're somebody who de derives a lot of their behaviors and thoughts out of a sense of respect for how things ought to be and, and sort of what seems appropriate and what seems acceptable, is that not in its own way folded into who you are? Is that part of who you are, that reverence for what should be, mm -hmm. right? Or are you living under some kind of oppressive farce, some kind of social construct that you feel bound to that is actually restricting a sort of inner you in a sense? So I don't know. These are questions I ask myself because, you know, I think about some of my other personality traits and things that I would say or that I'm highly structured and that I'm a highly premeditative person. Mm -hmm. um, but then I'm, I'll kind of ask myself things like, are you that way because you like and want to be that way and are inclined to act that way? Or have you in some of your more formative moments experienced suffering or punishment for not being that way? And now you, you operate this way out of a fear. And do you, are you actually operating out of fear? And then the question is, are you the kind of person that simply responds more strongly to fear as opposed to positive incentive, right? But is it, I guess the real question is, like, despite all of it, is it not you? Or can it all be true and still all be you? Yeah, I guess it can. I mean, I, I guess it can be me. And, and I suppose the greater question that that poses is, do I like that about myself? Right? Have I accepted that about is myself? Is there a reason to not like it about yourself? Um, yeah, because I think there's dissonance at times. I think there's dissonance. Like, I notice ways in which the way I am gets in the way of other parts of myself to which I strive to be. Well, but still... Is it, does it have to be that you can't like that about your, like those things about yourself? Does it have to, it doesn't have to be. I certainly can like those things about myself. Or I mean, or at least not treat them with disdain. Right. Because like I, mean, I think, oh, oh I, I think it's both. I think this, there's aspects of myself that I would say I treat both with respect and, and appreciation, but also with disdain and with some level of resentment. So to give you an example, I mean, I can pose this with almost any one of my own self-identified traits. Like, I'm someone who is, um, I'm a little bit particular about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, I'm very, I'm, I'm a little bit meticulous. I'm a little bit fastidious with things. So um, what I attribute this to, I, I should describe that a little bit more. Um, I'm very cautious and concerned about keeping things in a, um, in a, keeping stuff in like um, good order, good working order. So for example, I'm, I'm that girl who like, my sunglasses always go in the case. And when, I'm, when they're not in the case, they're on my face. And when they're not on my face, they go back in the case. Mm -hmm. Okay? Like, I'm the person who, like, as a kid, when I had, like, the, like, when I would buy toys, I would keep the packaging because then the toy would go back in the packaging when I was done playing with it. Mm -hmm. Right? A little bit obsessive-compulsive. 
I attribute this to learning from a young age or being conditioned at a young age to take incredibly good care of my things because it was like this um, costs money to buy you and money is not easy to come by. You have to earn money. And if you break it or lose this, um, it costs money and we may not replace the things that you break, right? Mm -hmm. So at that point, I became very intense about my things. And I believe strongly that like, when you take good care of your things, they last longer, you care for them, but they mean more to you, right? And there's many implications of that. You just, you develop an immense um, amount of attention to detail and personal care. Um, you tend to be more cost, cost conscious as a result. Um, mm -hmm. And you can have nice things and, you know, it's good. But of course, there's some things that, there's some dark sides to this. Mm -hmm. Is that I notice that I'm someone who, and my parents would be the first to point this out. They love making fun of me in this way. Is that I was not good at sharing as a child yeah, because of my fastidiousness uh -huh. with things. And as an adult, I sometimes struggle to share things that are of sentimental value to me, right? Like if someone asks, hey, can I grab this thing from you and borrow it for a day? If it's something that is a little bit special to me, I have a moment with myself and I'm kind of like, I don't think you really want to share that, but it also feels really unkind to not be willing to share, right? So like, that's one example um, of a time in which I both can appreciate that there's certain redeeming traits, redeeming qualities to a certain trait mm. I have, but there's also some, some somewhat unsavory and challenging aspects to parts of who I am. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. It's kind of a drawn out story, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I don't know. Um, so I guess then what, uh, um, do you feel that it makes it difficult to belong to yourself? It's a good leading, it's a good lead up question, good follow up question. Yeah, I mean, in some ways it does because I think there's such a heavy societal leaning towards a certain set of what I think are considered more prized values and traits and behaviors. Mm -hmm. So for example, if we take that exact example, sharing things is universally or nearly universally appreciated and applauded more often than not being willing to share things, right? Mm -hmm. Being sociable is almost universally considered to be a more positive trait than not being social, right? We say, we know this because we say things like you're being antisocial as a criticism of someone, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to being like, oh, you're just taking some time for yourself. <coughs> Bless you. Yeah, right. Like you um, have to if you don't want to hang out with people, you have to have you have to defend a yourself. Justifiable you have, excuse. You have to come up with a reason. I don't want to is not good enough for people. Right, or it's offensive even. Yeah. Right. I just don't feel like it. Um, for example, um, um, looking on the bright side and being positive is universally or nearly universally <clears throat> more accepted than looking on the dark side or perhaps being skeptical. Right or being cynical about something, mm. right? Um, what are some other ones? Well, yeah, we have negative words for all sorts of qualities or characteristics or things that can be charged. So I guess the why do I why do I say that? I say that because when you 
if what if a certain way in which you feel like you more truly belong to yourself is has a fric uh, frictious that a word has creates friction mm-hmm. <laughs> um, between the way that what between what society values and sort of what you feel is more of your own comfortable natural state you know yeah. what i'm saying in which case are you at what point do you kind of tell yourself okay like this is one of those times where i s- kind of go against certain molds but we could do that with every quality yeah because positivity can be toxic that's true and i think um you know like selflessness um or i mean i personally don't believe that there's any such thing any anything that or that true altruism exists like i don't think that's real um mm. interesting and like regardless i mean or you think like altruism i mean ultimately like What's the point of being only altruistic? What, then you never get your own needs met? Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose in a perfect world, if everyone was perfectly altruistic, everyone's needs are being met by others. But nobody's needs are met by Not necessarily. Own. Just yeah. because someone's meeting other like, people's needs doesn't mean yours are getting met. In an ideal world. In an ideal world, if everyone was perfectly altruistic, every single human being that we came across... Again, this is my my version of what I imagine that would be like. Every single person you came across, you would go out of your way to do something nice for them. If not a compliment. That's exhausting. Then it is exhausting. <laughs> and also, it's highly assumptive. Mm-hmm. Because the thing about it is that, like, as much as, as, as you can be the most emotionally intelligent and emotionally aware person in the world, I still think you're not going to 100% of the time know exactly what to offer someone else Mm-mm. whether they are obviously in need or obvious or not obviously in need you just you just never really know like you know i and i think to some degree you're always going to have a little bit of personal bias as to what you think a certain person needs from you mm-hmm. and what's the best way to satisfy yourself is to know your own needs and develop the ability to satisfy them by yourself and it's nice if other people can meet your needs it's even nicer if you can articulate them right um but yeah. other people can't be 100% of your support system mm-hmm. by virtue of the fact that no one else in the world can die for you, like truly die for you. Like eventually you will face your own reckoning and you I have to, you, you have to. There's millions of people who think that they're, that somebody can die for you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I guess I touched a hot button there. <sighs> well... Maybe that's not the best phrasing for it. But at the end of the day, we all move on. Right? In Mm -hmm. some... uh, The way we understand it, we all move on past this world at some point. And no one else can... You you have to go through it. Yeah. You go through it. That's what what I mean to say, really. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, if... But I think... And I think that comes back to what we're talking about here, is if you don't actually belong to yourself like you can't truly belong mhm yeah no i think i think that's a i think that's a good like 
it's almost like it's a boiling down of this of this idea a little bit. Because if you only belong to like if yeah, I mean if you only belong to others, it's just like I don't know what's the point. Like if uh, there's because then and nobody's out there for you. Hmm. I yeah. I I guess I see what you're saying, and at the same time, belonging to yourself versus belonging to others. I think there's a distinction that comes to mind as to what that means in the sense of, because so much of so much of what has been understood about communities and societies and the human psychology is that we derive a lot of personal satisfaction and pleasure out of serving others mm-hmm. and being kind to and being giving to others, which I think is still a little different. It's a little different than belonging to others. Yeah. Because belonging to, you can still belong to yourself, but give freely unto others. And in fact, I think the only way you really can give freely in the truest sense is if you fully belong to yourself. Yeah, if you meet your own needs. Yeah. Is that what was that how you would define belonging to oneself? Understanding your needs and knowing how to meet them without anyone's help? I think that's I would say that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um what else does it mean to you? I think I mean to me it also means um like seeing yourself and understanding yourself. Um, I think it means loving yourself. Mm-hmm. Maybe holding your own opinion of yourself as being the really at the end of the day the only opinion that truly matters. Assuming it's a good one. <laughs> I guess if it's if it's true and it's not good, then. Well, if you take the steps you need to change a, that. It's a good <clears throat> question. I mean, let's say that your opinion of yourself is low or not good or bad, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, is it about not trusting your own opinion of yourself and choosing someone else's opinion of you instead? Or is it about exploring why that opinion of yourself is the way it is and wanting to change it to something perhaps a little more optimistic or a little better. Well, yeah, I guess I think that belonging to yourself probably then also also has to do with, you know, like even if you don't even if you have qualities that maybe um are not broadly celebrated um is there a reason you can't still belong to yourself or still feel good about yourself yeah i mean i think that's probably one of the greatest tensions i would say if you asked anyone that's probably a source of internal tension is when like i mean we talked about this i think in the past like um when you have interests that are considered off the beaten path right like you can take this in all kinds of contexts, like adults who are into cartoons is the sort of like stigma that I've personally encountered. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Like I'll say things like I watch cartoons and depending on who I say that to, I get I get flash moments of judgment or surprise or or almost like oh yeah, you do that, right? Um, I mean having um, uh, kinks and fetishes in the in the sex sexual realm mm-hmm. in, in the community is something that also is like depending on who you talk to, right? People may find that odd. Um, so it's like what is considered to be the status quo and normal if you prefer something that's a little bit outside of that I think there is this kind of you have to have this moment where you you either tell yourself maybe you know you either tell yourself maybe this is a little weird maybe this is a little bit funky and you kind of I don't know side with society Right? Or side with your dissenters mm-hmm. about it. Or you're kind of like, I don't really care. Yeah. That this is not what everyone else is into. Well, so like, I guess if thinking about somebody else. So let's say you exist in a group and somebody tries to come into the group who there are parts of them that you judge. Yeah. Would you see that person as an insider or an outsider? Would you see that person as belonging to the group? Mm. Um, I almost think to myself... In terms of belonging to the group... Hmm. It's hard to say. It's a very, that's a very hypothetical situation. I mean, I would kind of be... I'm almost inclined to say that, like... In a social setting... How would I consider someone as in or out of group I think it has a little bit to do with how easy the social dynamic feels so like if someone comes in into a group of conversation where we're hanging out or doing stuff and if it generally feels comfortable mm-hmm. then to me I'm kind of like oh this person like really jives with us and it may not necessarily have to do with interests but maybe it's more like conversational demeanor more than anything you know I don't know like you could judge this based off of a whole number of different attributes like I think if I think about our group of friends our sense of humor is I think one of the things that has largely felt like um, a determinant of social identity so like sometimes we hang out with other people and they don't find our jokes funny. We're kind of like, mm, don't think we're gonna be seeing a lot more of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I'm specifically talking about just like if there's somebody that you encounter that you have a lot of judgments toward, mm. do you imagine that you would see them as belonging to your group? Maybe, yeah, maybe. You think so? I don't think that I... I find it hard to believe that if I had a lot of judgments towards somebody that I would see them as belonging. And the reason I say that is because like, I'm thinking about this idea of belonging to myself. And like, if I judge myself, just as if I were really judging somebody else, I probably wouldn't see them as belonging to my group. Mm. I, I'm also probably not going to feel I belong... Yeah. Like I have a sense of belonging to myself if I judge myself. Because I'm going to probably project. And then also just not feeling like I belong in groups either because I'm probably going to project my same judgments mm. um, about myself 
uh, to others, I'm going to assume others judge me for the same things. You know what's interesting when you say that though is that I think that my way of like my modicum of like whether like to the degree to which I judge people is almost a little bit different. Like uh, maybe you know I'm gonna say this as my own self evaluation, but I think I judge my I think I judge myself pretty harshly, and I know that in my relationship that I've also expressed judgments that have become the, the source of tension in the relationship and there's a part of me that almost feels like I'm more judgmental of people I'm close to really close to right or have to or spend a lot of time with yeah right than people who I'm even like a little less familiar with I don't know I, I, I actually I can't I can't say that for certain because like I don't I don't feel like I'm judgmental of my friends but I'm definitely judgmental of myself and it's, it's weird because it's almost like I'm the last person who should be I'm the last person that I should be judging all the time but what is that? is that self-judgment or is that just the uh, constant path towards self-improvement? I guess it just yeah it depends on how you're saying it or what you do with it or what you do with it is it something is it like like I'm gonna shame myself for it or is it gonna be like I'm going to acknowledge it and either like accept it about myself or change it hmm. I don't know probably some combination of them both mm-hmm. um, yeah I don't have a I don't it's hard I don't have a, like a, a clear answer and, and it's a, it goes pretty deep for me in terms of being able to differentiate between those areas in my life where I'm judging myself and those areas in which I'm, I would call it holding myself accountable to behaviors that I want to change. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, but it's a good question. I don't, I don't, I don't really have a good answer to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think acknowledging things that we want to change doesn't have to involve judgment. No, it definitely doesn't. It definitely doesn't. Um, and I think decoupling those things is tough. I think... I mean, I think if you grow up... Good friends with shame... Mm-hmm. It is a tough thing. Yeah. It is a tough thing to know how to differentiate the two. Right? Yeah. And I think... Um, hmm. I had, was just having a... You know, I think that also sometimes it's not even about changing something, but just channeling it in the right way. So like we were talking about like your quality of being fastidious. Mm. That doesn't need to change, but it can be channeled in the right way. Like, so it's, it's, it's kind of reminding me, reminding me of um, when I was um, in California with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and my nephew he's 11 um we were we were playing in the pool and he was just sitting over on one of the lounge chairs Hmm. and i know my um and i was talking to my brother i was like is he in timeout or what and he's like yeah he was being really disrespectful um and 
I was really impressed to hear him talk about his son who had been really disrespectful because he was, you know, he was like, um, so he's just kind of, he's over there until he can, um, like, choose to um, be respectful of other people. Um, and uh, he's like, you know, um, he's been in there he's been in the timeout for much longer than probably than he necessarily needs to be. But when I went to Joe check to see if he was ready to come out, he was continuing to be disrespectful. And he said, you know, it's really tough because he's so stubborn. And he said, it's which, you know, it's a really wonderful quality. Um, and like being the, stubborn. Yeah. And he said the challenge is for him that he needs to learn how to channel that in the right way. But if he can channel his stubbornness in the right way, he can do some really amazing things. Mm-hmm. And I was, I thought it was so sweet how he was talking about him and just realizing that, um, that like these kinds of things that we maybe see with a negative, put a negative spin on about ourselves it's because the times that I mean the 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 reason we maybe get this negative idea is because we've channeled it in a way that maybe wasn't positive but if we can harness it in the right way um, they're really wonderful qualities mm-hmm. and so it's not necessarily about changing ourselves but channeling ourselves yeah I mean, I agree with that. And it kind of goes to the next quote mm-hmm. that we have there. Do you want to, uh, yeah, do you want to read that out to us? Yeah, so this is also from Braving the Wilderness. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are, it requires you to be who you are. Um, I don't know, I think that. Yeah, I think that story to me kind of highlights that where it's like, um, and I think, you know, kind of bring it together. If we can decide that we are okay with who we are and belong to ourselves, it's much easier to channel these qualities that we have into positive things or to like, um, Um, because I think it's a lot of times it's like the, it's maybe the shame about our characteristics, um, or things like that, that end up causing us to channel these things in more negative ways. Um, because if all we do is see ourselves in this, in a negative light, then it becomes hard to see any other way that we can be. Mm Mm-hmm. It feels perhaps entrapping rather than feeling like a superpower of sorts. Yeah. And I think a lot of times it probably becomes, it's a product of the messages that we maybe heard growing up, Mm -hmm. the things that we tended to hear more than others. Um, And, you know, it may be from my sister-in-law was telling me that she just had a really big awakening and that could be where some of their, maybe their like language change came from. I mean, um, my brother's always been really pretty non-judgmental and he's, um, always 
is pretty good at like seeing the bright side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but my sister-in-law was talking about how um, her um, like her son has a and I, I think it was the same son has like a really hard time um, just getting would like getting ready on time in the morning for school. Yeah. And like she'd often get just get so frustrated and just be like, why can't you um, just be ready on time? Um, and um, and like there was this one time where she was just getting so frustrated and he was like he came to her and he was like, Mom, don't be mad, I can't do this. And she said, What are you talking about? Of course you can. And he goes, No, I'm not I can't. And she said, yes, you are capable of doing this. And he said, no. He said, you told me I can't, like, I'm, I'm not able to. He said, because, like, you said, remember, you said, why can't you do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, he internalized that as meaning that he just wasn't good enough to be able, like, that he just wasn't smart, like, smart so, enough. Or, so those words defeated him in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And... And it just, like, completely just, like, broke her heart. She's, like, started crying. She was, like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, um, I wasn't, um, I wasn't being, I wasn't speaking to you the right way. Um, of course you can do this. I know that it's hard. Um, but we can, like, work on this together. Mm-hmm. And realize that she had to change her language because... It was ultimately setting him up to feel like he just didn't have any other option, that he wasn't capable. Right. I mean, I think to me that speaks to the, I mean, it definitely demonstrates the power of language and it also demonstrates the need to learn how to, to work on the separation between who people are and the things that people do or the ways that people behave. Yeah, because the ways that people behave are a is is a language that is a lot more universal than I think you'd think. And the reason I say that is because that becomes a very direct pathway to empathy and to understanding. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is like instead of looking at the way that someone acts in a certain situation and making some judgment or uh, uh, attribution as to this must be the kind of person that they are, you perhaps instead take a moment to think about the circumstances that person may be in that you may or may not be fully aware of. And instead to maybe have some understanding and say, oh no, if I understand the full context, I really can understand why this person would maybe have behaved in such a way. Mm-hmm. Which I think ultimately leads to our sense of like self-efficacy and what we are and are not capable of because the ways that we talk to each other... I mean, this is a case of a parent speaking to a child and in so many of those instances, it is the parent who has such a huge role in not persuading but inspiring their children to know that they are capable of whatever they want to achieve 
and to not limit that. And I think that it's not just a parent-child relationship that's like this. Mm-hmm. I think relationships between spouses, between friends, um, between coworkers are like this as well, right? What we say we can and can't do, you know, that's limiting to, to say, I just can't do this. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, brings it brings it back to me too. We say like, it to ourselves. We say it to ourselves. I think, like I definitely suffer from like a lot of imposter syndrome, both in my current work and as I'm working on navigating a a career change. Like I oftentimes tell myself, you know, like, who are you to compete all against all these other people who probably have more experience than you, right? Um, and focusing on telling myself the things that I am not, or the things that I don't have, the things that I quote can't do. Instead of thinking about it from the angle of like, well, what are all the things that you bring uniquely that other people couldn't hope to bring mm-hmm. to the table? So I think it's a prime example of like, a, you know, how you talk about yourself influences how you see yourself. It's either, it, it's, a, it's both. It's a two-way loop. How you talk about yourself will influence how you see yourself, and how you see yourself tends to manifest mm-hmm. in ways that you talk about yourself. What do you think about manifestation? I think that it's another way of talking about self-fulfilling prophecies. Mm-hmm. I think self-fulfilling prophecies are real. I think that like visualizing success is real. Yeah. Like has real impact. Um, because, you know, you need to ideate towards what you want in order to even know that you've gotten what you wanted. Mm-hmm. We all, I mean, I believe we all negatively manifest. Oh, for we sure. We all engage in, so many people, like, will laugh at, like, positive affirmation or positive manifestation. But every day, they're negatively manifesting things. I can't do this and therefore they're not going to because like why would you if you believe you can't or like I don't have motivation or I am lazy or blah 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 like Mm -hmm. I don't know but that's kind of off topic yeah well I guess it kind of goes along with like believing yourself um, and belonging to yourself I mean I think one of the questions that we posed on our show notes here is what what does it look like to move towards a place of self-acceptance and of belonging to yourself. And I think one way that this ties in is to believe in yourself. Belonging to yourself also means believing in yourself. Yeah. And that means telling yourself that you can do the things that you set your mind to. And talk to yourself. And I mean, and the way you talk to yourself really matters. Yes, exactly. I think that's a big part of self. If you talk about yourself in self-accepting terms, that to me is an expression of self-acceptance. It's not the whole... Mm-hmm. It's not the whole expression, but it's some of it. Yeah. Um, but I liked, I really liked where you were going with, um, oh man, where you were talking about, what was I talking about? You were talking, weird. <laughs> you were, when you were talking about, you, it was basically moving on to like, um, our discussion about like accepting others. Mm. Well, I, I just think that I just to me the way I think about this is if you don't 
the way that you treat other people is oftentimes relative to or a mirroring or a, a, a tilt of sorts of the way that we treat ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, well, other than, like, there are a lot of people that treat others better than they treat themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. To some degree. I but would... do you think that they treat... So, okay, so let's say you have people who are kind to others but unkind to themselves. Mm-hmm. What do you think is happening there? I don't think it's authentic. Mm. You think the kindness to others then is not authentic? Or is it the other way around? I think the kindness to others is not is probably not authentic. Mm-hmm. That it's probably... Um, le- it's probably done more to- like out of fear. Mm. Um, and uh, that it's not really like sincere it's not like real, really vulnerable mm-hmm. I think it's more protective what do you think it's a fear of um, like retribution or a fear of um, being like responded to harshly mm-hmm. I'm, I think I'm trying to link together in my mind what would what would wh- or a fear it's a or a fear of being rejected because they reject themselves in mm-hmm. a sense okay do you think I can see a connection of there being that if you are not kind to yourself and you don't accept yourself that you try to replace that or supplant that with acceptance from others. Yeah, cause but I mean, it's not it's not a satisfying kind of acceptance if it's not coming from I've always well cuz I've always thought it was interesting when like someone will judge themselves for something that like many other people do, if not most people. And it's like and when you kind of reflect that, it's like, oh, well, it's only, I'm the only one that can't do that. And it's like, there's like no way that you don't, like, if you really judge yourself that harshly for it, there's no way that you think it's just acceptable that everybody else does it. That it's just acceptable that everybody else does what? Does whatever thing that you think is terrible that you do. Like, for instance, like, let's oh, say, I see. like, let's say somebody, like, will really judge, they'll, like, really judge themselves so harshly if they were late for something. But then, like, they're very forgiving if somebody else does it. And it's like, why are you about to, like, jump off a cliff because you were late for something? And yet, like, it's totally, there, but there, there's nothing wrong with them for mm. doing it. And it's like, well, I just hold myself to a different standard. And, it, and to me, I'm just like, no. Like, mm. what you're doing is you're just appeasing them. But I think it's possible. I think it explains some of it, though. But, like, I'll be the first to say that, like, I would say I find myself in that exact same scenario sometimes. Like, if I am 
three minutes late to a session client. I am sweating. I'm already, I am already developing like, how can I explain this? And how can I explain this in the way that's like, not, not necessarily like overly apologetic, but it's also very acknowledging. The point is I get up in a tizzy about it. Yeah. And yet my clients will stroll in 10 or 15 minutes late and they're like, I'm sorry, I'm late. And I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm pretending and don't realize it, but I usually am like, okay, that's fine. We're just going to have to spend the rest of the time doing what we can do for this hour. Right. Cause like my clients, I, I work on an hour by hour basis. So I'm constantly faced with like people being yeah. on or off time on or not on time. And I would say that there's a part of this that has to do with self-esteem. Well, so I think there's a little difference because they're going to pay you whether they're late or not. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's and fair. whereas if you're late, you are like, you are not giving them all of what mm. they're paying for. Sure. So when there's a transaction, when there's a transaction involved, such as money, so that makes then sense. it sort of changes it a little bit. But so let's say it's friends. Like for me, if like people, um, like for me, if, like when a person doesn't show up for an appointment they're like so apologetic and I'm like like no no thank you like you gave me extra time like sure sure sure. so there's a one-sidedness when it's a sort of there's a business aspect to this yeah so you're saying that maybe if it was something more like a friend meeting a friend right like you you said like "Um, let's meet for dinner and and this person was late right yeah, like, you, I'm going to judge people as much as I judge myself. Mm, <laughs> sure, okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that's the case. I, I don't know. Like, I think... Now I, like, now I feel like, you know how when you hear a song, when you're listening to a certain kind of music and you can't think of another song while that music's playing? It's kind of like that. I'm like, I'm trying to think of another example in which this, like, this sort of, like, thought, thought experiment plays out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, um... I, 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 I will say this. I think that self-esteem is a different, is a factor that plays into this. When you feel different or you are told that you are different or you are told that you are somehow less than or that there's something unsavory about you and you believe it and you believe it for long enough, you truly think that you are less of whatever than the next person less attractive less intelligent less dependable less trustworthy less whatever and so i think that if your self-esteem is something that affects you adversely then judging yourself harshly more harshly than you judge others especially for the same behaviors I don't know that that's disingenuous so much as it is because you truly believe that you are worse. Does that make sense? Mm. I think that there's, yeah, I think there's some of it. But like, I don't, I still don't think that like, it can be totally genuine. Mm. Because it's like, if that's, if it's bad for you, like, if it's something that's bad, mm. regardless of whether you see yourself as worse, you're still going to see that thing as bad. 
I still see the thing as bad, right? Like, let's, I still, let, don't get me wrong. If I tell someone, I'll meet you at 7 and they show up at 7.15, am I going to be a little bit irritated? Sure. I mean, like, I waited for 15 minutes, right? But in terms of how I attribute the reasons as to why it happened, if I was the person that was, seven, that was, that was late by 15 minutes, what I'd be telling myself is, why didn't you manage your time better? Whereas the, if the person shows up 15 minutes late, I'm like, oh, they must have lost track of time. They, they're a very, very busy person. I just appreciate that they're here. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, yeah, I guess I'm a little different. Because I would be like, why didn't they manage their time better? <laughs> so it's, I think, I mean, but, but like, at the same, like, it's perfectly valid that our two takes on this are different. Because, like, I mean, what could I be telling myself being like, you know what? You probably could have managed your time better, but you should also just be glad that you showed up at the same time. And at the same time, I, I also could look at that person and kind of being like, again, out of a sense of self-esteem and self-respect, I'm being like, because that person being 15 minutes late, when they say they were coming at seven, it is a little bit of a disrespect to me, right? And I could articulate that, but I choose not to because I believe in some of these instances that you know, they really didn't mean any harm by it, or mm -hmm. I don't, I don't uh, respect my own frustration and my own irritation as valid. Yeah. Because I've maybe told myself that it's it's impolite to be irritated with people to their face. Well, see, I might not necessarily say something about it, <laughs> but I'm gonna think the same thought. Sure. And it might not be 15 minutes. Like for me. I, like, 15 minutes is usually a grace period. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if it's, like, 30 minutes plus, then yeah. I'm going to start so having it's a, it's a little bit more situationally specific, right? <laughs> yeah. I think it's the same thing with, like, you know, like, not necessarily punctuality, but, like, asking a favor, for example. If you ask a small favor of someone and they forget, it's like, okay, you know, that's all right. But if you ask them a big favor, you're like, this is very important to me. I really need you to remember to do this. And they drop the ball. Then you're more likely to, you know, be really upset about it. Yeah. Um, in any case, are we coming off topic a little bit here? Yeah. <laughs> um, Where do you want to pick back up on this? I mean, I think we're kind of like... Um, well, so we could talk about how belonging to oneself or like self-acceptance can translate then into being accepting of others and... Um, like what Brene talks about in Braving the Wilderness or like building stronger, more supportive communities. I mean, I think that when you're aligned, when you, when you accept yourself, it is a version of alignment where you are a little bit more at peace or maybe very at peace with who you are. And so you don't look at yourself with dissonance, a feeling of dissonance, and you don't get irritated by yourself perhaps as often or if you do you know how to let go of it mm -hmm. i think it's unfair to say that you like never ever annoy yourself with your own behavior i think we all do things against our own <clears throat> best interests but like generally speaking if you are aligned with yourself there is a peace and an ease there and so what happens is when you understand yourself and are at peace with yourself I think you can find, you've, you've largely gone through the process of emotional maturity, of being able to like 
self-forgive, self-accept. And so other people's behavior, I think, and, and other people's attributes and their, their interests and their hobbies and their passions and their traits, <clears throat> I think you just go into it and you just like, I don't know, like I think you're just more accepting of it because I think people who are at peace are much more likely to meet others from a place of peace. Mm -hmm. It's it's really hard. It's actually really hard to put this into words. But that's the closest I can get to it. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. No, I mean, I absolutely see that. Um, that, like, if you're happy with yourself, it's, like, hard to then just be, like, angry at others. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, Yeah, it's like when when you're in a good mood. If you wake up in a really good mood, it's really hard to, like... It would take. It takes a lot to like be, like, like walk around turned over like, into a battle. You, like you're like flipping yeah. people off. It's like, hard to be like. But I'm so you're like skipping and like singing a lot happy song and then you're yeah. just like flipping everyone off. Like that doesn't. Who does? That's not. People don't do that. People don't do that. It's ha like if happy. You, yeah, happy people don't just shoot their husbands. You know, it's like um, <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like it's sort of like um, you know. It's like the classic sitcom thing where like you have the person who's kind of like generally a little bit like sour. And maybe like like maybe a little bit unpleasant, and then like they come in um, really really happy the next day, and their friend is like, okay, who did you sleep with? Yeah. Right? Like some somebody had some fun last night or, or whatever or some like somebody got a promotion or or somebody had a baby like yeah. when you're in a really great mood, it's really difficult to like approach people with contempt or anger mm -hmm. or frustration. And I think that's what belonging to oneself does. In a sense, it puts you in a really good mood, like yeah. a really good spiritual mood, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think one of the things that I think about is that like every single one of us has something that's different about us from the mainstream. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like that must be true. Or things that, like, maybe about ourselves that are not... I mean, we all have, like, quote-unquote flaws. Like, I mean, I've always... I've never really liked the term flaws because the, what I like to think is we all just have different... Like, a flaw is just a difference that someone's not willing to tolerate. Um, like quirks. I, Let's say quirks. Let's not say difference. <laughs> sure, whatever. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But, um... And so, like, I think that we all have, like, yes, if, it would, like, everybody, I think, would um, say that, like, all people have flaws or whatever or, like, differences, you know? Um, and I think if we're able to belong to ourselves and embrace every aspect of ourselves, even the parts that we may not be the most proud of or that we may feel cause us to be different or um, maybe give us reason to question our sense of belonging. If we can embrace those things and accept the diversity that's within each of us, the things that set us apart, mm -hmm. um, then like we can, we're more likely to be willing to embrace the differences in other people and the diversity of others. Yes, I think so. I think that's right. I think there's a certain cognitive understanding as well of kind of like, I am unique 
I am unique and I accept my uniqueness. I don't find it threatening. I don't think it's anything to knock down or criticize about myself. And so when I encounter someone, inevitably speaking, they will be unique because we are all unique, right? Even the most ununique people are unique in some way, mm -hmm. right? Like they truly cannot be exactly the same as this other person or as this other person. And so it's kind of like if you have come to terms with your own, with the inherent, inherent truth of your uniqueness, then you see the inherent truth of other people's uniqueness and you are unthreatened by it. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the lack of acceptance of others is usually because there's a threat there. Yeah. You don't seem safe to me because I find your customs or your language or your behaviors odd, right? There's got to be some level of it that's kind of like I'm uncomfortable about it, right? But if you instead kind of see it coming from this place of like, be you, you know, because... Yeah, if I'm allowed to be me, then of course you can be you. Yeah. If I allow myself to be me, then why wouldn't I allow you to be you? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think one of my other little notes here was that like, um, you know, uniformity and actual, like what's mainstream mainstream is such like an elusive word it's just like what do more people like than people who don't like that thing right and so it's like even that's just kind of like it's it's kind of a mythical thing um it's a, somewhat, a lot of times somewhat arbitrary decision and yeah or like in american politics it's who's the loudest and has the most money they don't even have to be the majority. Truly, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? There was something I wanted to say to that. Something about the mainstream. That's ah, escaping me now. That normal isn't real. Yeah, that normal isn't real. I've actually, I'm actually trying to, I'm actually trying to... Um, or variation, difference is normal. I'm trying to phase the word normal out of certain parts of my lexicon. I think there's places where normal makes sense. Mm -hmm. So for example, your blood pressure is normal, right? Like uh, your blood pressure is healthy, mm -hmm. right? Normal healthy maybe being kind of like somewhat interchangeable, That, but I'm working away from the word normal and maybe working more towards something like the word typical mm -hmm. or common. Typical and common feel more like it's a more inclusive way of talking about yeah. mainstream or what's, again, what's, I guess what's typical, right? What's observed more often. Average. As opposed to what's not. Yeah. Normal is a very charged word. Mm -hmm. Right? Because to be abnormal feels like an attack. Yeah. Anyway. That or a deviation from the norm, a deviant. I mean, yeah, that, that word is almost, like, comical to me <laughs> when people use that, you know? Yeah. Besides in statistical terms. But mm -hmm. what else? Mm, what is the, what's the value in diversity? Mm, well, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. We've talked about some of the, some of the viewpoints. The, yeah. the value in getting on board with diversity is that... 
of course, you know, as we stated, it is inevitable and it has been around, right? Like we are diverse, even yeah. in a group of people who generally look look and act in similar ways or come from the same place you're still going to see a lot of diversity because diversity is in comes in all different shapes and different forms and different mm -hmm. aspects um but diversity is like creates i think on top of that it also makes life interesting and it also makes you more well-rounded mm -hmm. as a person. Um, it's the spice melange. The spice melange, right? It's like, <laughs> why put ketchup on your hot dog only if you could put ketchup and mustard and, and sweet relish yeah. and onions on your hot dog? So much better. Um, but, you know, in seriousness, it's sort of like we know that when we get when you have a composite that is made up of so many more diverse constituent parts you're really getting at a more collective truth in a sense yeah if that makes sense yeah i mean and if you have like the more experiences you have the more um perspectives you have the more like um the more like diff the more opinions you have the more ways of problem solving the more exactly like it's just more all of it's more vibrant. ways of creating the more ways of inventing I think we ex I think it's based on the premise that any one of us as a single individual couldn't possibly hope to capture all of the thoughts and experiences that one could hope to capture in one lifetime. There's mm -hmm. not enough time, right? Like, so, you know, what's, what's an opportunity, what, what opportunity does, does embracing diversity mean? Embracing diversity doesn't just mean um, being willing to engage in conversation or friendships with people who look or act or come from different places than you or have had different experiences than you. But it involves also immersing yourself in experiences that exist outside of your own. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you are someone who has only ever lived in the same state or the same country your whole life, visiting another state or visiting another country and, embrace, and, and immersing yourself in another culture is a way of embracing diversity. And it's kind of being like, huh, I had no idea that people ate food like this or did these kinds of things for fun or um, held certain kinds of values mm -hmm. or, um, or talk this way, right? Or dance this way or listen or play music in this way. It's just, it's yeah. just interesting. You can learn new things that really can just add something to life. Diversity doesn't take away anything. It only adds. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I think it's, it's interesting though because there's always this tension of like the foreign I think it's human nature to be perhaps at least a little bit apprehensive of that which is different to you I think it's biological I think yeah I mean 
Like they've kind of they I, there's when you think about like in some ways it was a survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. You know the idea of tribalism, um, protect ourselves from others because they might kill us, and so if we band together, then like we ha- are stronger in numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I think I think cautiousness and wariness is an important trait and important practice however i will be the first to tell you that it's also the killer of like it can be very much a killer of connection innovation exploration Mm -hmm. change right because cautiousness i think is an underlying foundation for conservative nature and I, I'm generally talking about the outside of political terms although yeah. it kind of applies a little bit yeah. in a sense but it's like being conservative generally means like we don't take risks we don't yeah we don't go outside of what we kind of know is works right and there's certain there is certain value to that from a safety perspective but in terms of from a from the perspective of wonder and discovery it doesn't tend to lend itself very well to that. And so it's sort of like, in the case of embracing cultural diversity, which I think is so high up in the social and political agenda nowadays, I think it's all about, you know, these things aren't so much of what we consider to be danger is so not real in today's conversations. Right? Like, what I mean by that is when you come across somebody who, whose culture is maybe different from your own, like, there's really not a lot of real danger there. You know, like, most human beings are not intensely tribal and violent and impulsive beings. Mm-hmm. You know, most of us, like, have a little bit of willingness to learn right we most of us i i would hope a overwhelming if not nearly complete majority of us generally don't rely on um we don't resort to physical violence when we feel a little bit threatened by something yeah so that is just to say if we feel a little bit um wary we can we can generally talk these things out mhm yeah so i don't know how do you how, what about, like, for those that are really resistant to accepting others or embracing diversity? How we approach those folks? I guess my question is just sort of like, you know, why? I just, I wonder, I, wa- I want to know why. Um, what is it about, you know, being met with something that's different that feels uncomfortable for you um i almost feel a little bit like nowadays when you see intolerance happening um there's a stronger force for estrangement and public ridicule than there is for understanding so for example you know in the wake of george floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, the term anti-racist 
became um, more more heavily used or more heavily popularized. And so what happens is, and I think it was this way before, but it, it was with a particular fervor now. Um, I mean, yeah. But nowadays, it's sort of like if someone were to say something that remotely resembles something that sounds racist, I think oftentimes the immediate reaction is cancel this person, they're a monster, horrible person, make sure that you never patronize their business, make sure that you never them ever give them your attention, your money, any of your admiration mm -hmm. or respect. Completely strip them of their humanity. And then salt the earth so that nothing will ever grow there again. Right. And so and and so I sort of both understand that sentiment and at the same time I see a huge opportunity loss. Mhm. Mm which is that by not striving to try and understand and to also try and educate and help these people. Yeah. You don't actually further the agenda of anti-racism. You simply wipe them out of your existence mm -hmm. and they end up leaning into other communities that are more accepting of their views which is yeah. oftentimes other racists and other people who are intolerant mm -hmm. you are just making it more polar you are not solving the problem yeah you isolate them have you um have you heard of daryl davis no daryl davis is a he's a black musician and he actually um, started to go out and have conversations with members of the Ku Klux Klan mm. to understand their view um, and start to gain, like, be able to like, see their perspective or to, like, learn about their perspective. Not at all to tell them that they were wrong or anything like that, but just to hear their stories mm -hmm. and hear about why they believe the way that they did mm -hmm. and in the process of doing that many members of the Ku Klux Klan um, ended up disavowing um, their like, affiliation their, from, from the Ku Klux Klan and even like they gave their robes and hoods to Daryl um, as a symbol of like what he had done for them interesting Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a perfect example of what the next, I think the next evolution of this conversation needs to be. You know, I think that what happens is this dismissal of people who perhaps either somewhat ignorantly or perhaps even willfully and deliberately express intolerance or perhaps mistakenly do so, right? It just, it's, there's not a lot of reflection happening. When you cut people off and you immediately renounce their entire being, denounce, I don't know, it's denounce their entire being, you just cut off the opportunity to understand. And even things that are, we consider to be morally reprehensible there's still value in working to understand. It's like, can you just explain to, I, I, I feel the desire to like hypothetically flesh out this kind of conversation, mm -hmm. which is, you know, let's say someone says something to you and is kind of like, why 
you know, why did you, why did you say those things? Why, why do you ex- have this attitude towards this particular subset of people? Why do you, you know, um, think that they're less than? Why do you think that they're, they're deserving of your scorn, of your hatred? And, you know, I see it kind of being like, there's probably some aspect of this is that they were taught that people are sort of like this, right? Or that they've, let's say, personally experienced examples that seem to reinforce their, their view, their view of, the, of, that, of that population or of those people, right? And I would simply challenge those things. I'm kind of being like, well, you've probably been taught a lot of things in your life, haven't you? Do, do you believe and practice every single thing you've ever been taught in your life? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's the case of um, having experienced um, uh, some kind of injustice at the hands of some other group, right? Um, you know, it's kind of like, all right, do you think that has, do you think that has something to do with that aspect of their identity? Have you never ever experienced this with someone from a different identity, right? So, you know, it's, it's, and I know I'm speaking in generalities here, but I think, I think these examples will ring true enough for, I think they make, I mean, they make sense for me. Mm-hmm. I think they make sense to you. It's sort of like, to what degree are you just, are you choosing to reinforce your negative view about these people? Right? It's a, yeah. tr- realizing that, that hate, that hatred and that in, intolerance is a choice you've made. And that if it's a choice, then that means that you can choose differently. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, our, our beliefs, I think a lot of times people don't realize that our beliefs are choices. And also giving these people a chance to reflect and giving them a chance to... Giving them a chance to refine and improve. Because it's not even getting there. The conversation is not even happening. Because yeah. it entails, entails multiple steps. Not only do you have to be willing to sit down and have that uncomfortable conversation, and to do it also from a place of non-judgment. Because the thing about it is, as much as we talk about why do we think racism is so bad, it's because these people are judging an entire population of people as being a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. And what happens is we're judging those people. We judge racists as being... Yeah. 100% wholly terrible people, right? So it's just like, I mean, all of us have been on the receiving end of judgment. And when you're actively being judged to your face, how are you likely to react? Yeah. Probably not positively. I mean, somebody has to just bend and be the first to accept the other person. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think in some I, I, there definitely has to be some point someone has to sort of like yeah, like sort of like stand on a, a bit of a higher like ethical plane and kind of being like we have to we have to reach a place of like not compromise, but we have to be willing to like put down some of this emotional charge and like talk about this in more in more mature ways. Mm-hmm. So the point I'm saying here is that like we're not even at that place where that kind of diplomacy is being offered. Where it's like, listen, your words, your actions, your thoughts, um, they don't sit well. They're not kind. 
However, we acknowledge that perhaps this is something that we can better understand and work through. And maybe we can move you to a place of being a little bit more tolerant, right? So how do we do that? Mm-hmm. You know? and, and then also allow time for that person to change, right? Because we all know how hard it is to change deeply held belief systems, mm-hmm. right? We just, there are certain ones that just aren't vilified as much. So to go back to this earlier example, like if you have someone who's always late to things and you kind of tell them, dude, you are late to everything. Can you please try, can you please try to like just be a little bit more punctual to things? I think in that situation, I, for me, I don't know that I would expect this person to all of a sudden start showing up on time to everything forever. I think I would commend like, you know what? You're at le- you're on time at least twenty five percent more than usual, and I see that in you, and mm-hmm. I appreciate that. It doesn't seem like we're willing to offer that same kind of generosity to people who maybe have been taught ignorant ways, and are actually intentional and earnest about being better. In any case, that's my whole that's my whole thing about intolerance. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I uh I don't know, is there anything that we're missing? Um let me think. Um No, I think that we I think that we I mean we branched out quite a little bit here and there, but I think all things that were kind of felt good to the conversation. Yeah. I mean I think one of the biggest things is kind of this last point of like how do we move towards acceptance of others? Mm. Or or, and maybe it's more about a, maybe a challenge or a call to action. Um, as I think that one way to move toward that, I mean, first off, it's just being open, you know, like Daryl Davis, to show curiosity and an interest in learning about another's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that, like, you know, like, not no, not seeking to change someone, but you know that could have that very well could happen mm-hmm. um oh i want just... to i want to say one more thing about that yes which is in the example that you've raised about daryl davis this is an example it's it's a rather unique example because it's an example of someone who is part of well i'm you said that they you said that these members returned their robes they gave their robes to him so I'm making a bit of an assumption here, but I'm, I'm I take it that Daryl Davis is a black man. Yeah. Well, I said he was a black musician. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. I, I I must have zoned out for a second, but I mean it makes sense given the narrative. So it's like, that's an example in which the oppressed, historically speaking, right, is willing to engage in a conversation with their oppressors, mm-hmm. which this is something that I think is worth noting because. In a lot of cases, especially with the topic of racism, that is not happening very much. It's very, very unlikely that as if you're on the if you're the someone who's been on the receiving end of racism or hatred or bigotry, I think there's a lot of sentiment of being like, why the hell would I be the first one to extend an olive branch? It is not my responsibility to educate these ignoramus and the- ignorima. Right, these people like if they wanna if they wanna be better people, go be better. 
I'm not here to teach you how to be more kind to me. Not my responsibility, dude. Yeah. I think that they're as much as I as, as as begrudging as it probably comes across, there is there has to be a little bit of responsibility and a little bit of softening and willingness to meet people. It's unfortunate that that's the case. Right. Um and you know, it's kind of like um, like I was telling you earlier about my friend Wendy, um, as she was talking, she, you know, she was saying that like, she was just like, you know, queer people are the color in life. Like they bring the creativity, they bring art, they bring like so much beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also teach people about love and authenticity and acceptance and she said you know it's it's unfair that the burden of being that kind of example falls on them but it is the way that it is and in some ways it's kind of a privilege to be able to do that for society but at the same time it is a burden it's a burden for sure but yeah, I mean, a lot of times the oppressed do have to be bigger. And when I, like with my family, when I publicly um, like spoke about my acceptance of my family despite them not accepting me, people were really actually kind of cruel. Like I had people from the community um, telling me that I had Stockholm Syndrome because I was reaching across to them and mm. showing them the acceptance that they were showing You were, me. like, being soft or that they were undeserving of it or whatever. Yeah, and they were like, you should abandon your family and demand that if they don't change their mind, they'll never see you again and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And they were like... And, I mean, even some people were like, it's too bad, like, you should, you weren't bullied into suicide when you were younger like, Holy shit. Yes, really? saying really horrible things because I was willing to support my family's lack of acceptance for me in a way that was just trying to um, really just maintain that sense of like connection and not isolate them. Mm. Um, but it was also a little bit about, I mean, you tell me, Do was it? in some part also about forgiveness and being able to like mm-hmm. yeah um, because like I realized that um, I mean on one hand it took me 11 years to accept my sexual identity and I was the one living the sexual identity <laughs> um, and my family who had the same indoctrination and programming through the church that I did mm-hmm. like uh, they didn't have this diverse identity, this un- this identity that was largely unaccepted to inspire them to open their minds. Um, and yet they still changed their minds and accepted me in less than 11 years, mm-hmm. um, in less than the 11 years it took me to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, like, I'm I'm grateful. I knew it wasn't going to be overnight. I knew they weren't just going to be able to accept me right away. Right. Um, you know, we all kind of hope and wish. But, like, I had to recognize that they were just as brainwashed as I was. 
and that like it was going to take them some time and so I had to offer them some grace in the meantime yeah I mean I just think like I think I think it's tough I think those voices that were so critical of you I think there was you know I, I, I would be unsurprised to know that if there was something that was going on for them in ways that was causing them to say those things to you to tie this oh, all sure. tie this all back around their cruelty towards you is probably born out of some kind of cruelty they're holding to themselves they didn't belong to I themselves think they they are not at peace with themselves and as a result they don't want to be at peace with their loved ones they don't want to offer peace or seek peace with others cuz uh, you know like and i i, I want to say come come at this from a place of you know they're just not ready they just um still have healing to do right mhm you know um yeah i i could personally relate to that there's definitely some things that i'm kind of like i know that i hold certain hard feelings about certain things and i think it comes from a place of not fully belonging to myself i think we're all in various stages of belonging to ourselves. I'm not sure I've met anyone who 100% is completely com- comfortable with themselves in every sense of the word. Sure, and I don't know that it's a static thing. Mm-hmm. I think I don't that know like it's possible. But... I think that it's something, and I don't think it's something that you just arrive at and you're there forever. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's something that you have to continuously work towards and then foster even if you get there. Because mm-hmm. I think that it's something that you can lose. I also think that it's something that you can discover by yourself, but also can be aided by the support and love of others. Mm-hmm. Even though it's largely, it needs to be sort of, you need to be the one at the, at the wheel. But yeah. having a supportive community around you can really play a part. Yeah, I mean, if you don't, if you're surrounded by people who mistreat you it's going to be hard to feel like you deserve more on the flip side of that if you don't recognize your worth and you believe you don't deserve much and you mistreat yourself you're going to surround yourself with people that mistreat you and treat you the same way that you feel you deserve to be treated definitely and I think that ties, I actually realized we didn't tie back into that last point about, about how it builds strong communities, but this is a perfect representation of that, which is that you can build communities off of everyone collectively hating something about themselves or not accepting something about themselves, and you can relish in that, or you can go a little bit more, a little bit of an easier and happier route, which is to do the work to reach a greater level of peace in yourself and I think that kind of thing can be very contagious mm-hmm. I think uh, you, you can be very drawn to, the, to those kinds of people a lot of us are you know these are people who are confident and assertive and but at the same time sensitive and compassionate right? mm-hmm. um, because of the work that they do on themselves and I, I'm, I'm just picturing communities where that exists and it just feels like a much more welcoming and happy place Mm-hmm. And you know, in the words of um, uh, RuPaul the, Charles, the, the great RuPaul, the great RuPaul, our, Reverend our RuPaul, mother, our mother yeah. queen. <laughs> Should we uh, say it at the same time? 
<laughs> yes. Uh, I forget how it goes all of a if sudden. If you can't love, love yourself, yourself how then the how the hell are you going to love, love somebody, somebody else? else? Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. Now let the music play. <laughs> it's, it's all one line. You can't deliver it without the rest. Uh-huh. Um, 100%. 100%. Um, I, think, I think the queer community knows a thing or two mm-hmm. about that. Um, but I think we're not the only ones. I think, you know, any strong, any strong people you find in marginalized communities will also, I think you find a lot of that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, let's, let's wrap it up here. It's been almost two hours. Mm -hmm. So, um, let's start with this outro. Um, let's pose a question. What kind of question do you want to ask? what does belonging how do you belong to yourself or to maybe reflect on mm -hmm. I don't know I'm always I'm never I always have a hard time thinking of uh, these questions of like little prompts yeah yeah well I'll pose that one I mean I'll say you know, how, how do you, how have you come to know yourself and what does belonging to yourself mean? Yeah. What have you done to belong to yourself? To yourself. So that's the question. All right. Um, What's what, something that came up that was unexpected for um, you? Hmm... Or just like, you know, sort of brought something up in a in a refreshing or unexpected or a new angle for you, rather. Any of those things. Mm. I think. Yeah, I guess. I mean, our kind of like conversation about. Just thinking about like self-talk or even just the importance of of language and how we frame things um, thinking about like I was surprised um, that the conversation kind of went to um, like the double edge side of or the double edge of different qualities Mm -hmm. um, I was re I was refreshing, you know, to think about how um, that and that idea that it's not necessarily we don't need to necessarily change qualities that maybe we dislike, but figure out Reframe. how to channel them into the Reframe. into the positive side. And I always think about like astrology, you know, when it's like. Oh, the Taurus, here's its good qualities, but here there is a dark side to the Taurus, and this is what, how it can be dark. And it's like, well, that's just because all qualities have a potential, like, plus and minus. I think that's true. And it's all about the way you channel them. I think, I think, I think a lot of them do. I think a lot of them do. I'm trying to think of any that don't. Mm-hmm. Right? 
I mean, I think, is there any dark side to being a compassionate person? Mm. Compassion is one that I feel like I have a hard time imagining a dark side to. You know? Okay, I guess maybe they're not all. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not here to poke holes in your logic or anything. <laughs> it's more like I'm just imagining, like, I mean, I, some, some really good ones we came up with were things like um, if you're a fastidious or meticulous person, mm-hmm. right? That might present itself as being valuable in certain contexts, and in others, it might be a little bit irritating or uh, overwhelming. Whereas, like, stubbornness, as you said, could be. I think a lot of people look at stubbornness like it's a bad thing, but stubbornness can also mean that you have really strong resolve. And, and you're really, really stubbornness headstrong is, is or pers- persistent. It's persistence and just in a different cloak. Yeah. Totally. Um, anyway, I'll talk about mine. Um, I mean, yeah, I keep thinking on that. <laughs> I'm going to find a dark side. Yeah, find a dark side to it. Um, now I'm thinking about it. Okay. Um, in any case, what was something that was surprising for me? Um, I don't know. I guess um, the sort of conversation we were having about... Oh, now I'm starting to like forget how to phrase it. It was sort of like... Oh, you were talking about how... Is it possible for someone to judge themselves for something but not really be judging other, people's, other people for those very same behaviors? And I, I really felt a bit of a difference in opinion um, from you on that one. And so it was interesting to explore that because I think it what, it what it kind of triggers me to think about is like, you know, what are, whether, whether I'm judging things outwardly or whether I'm judging things inwardly, right? Like not voicing them and to what degree that's appropriate. Because I think that, I mean, I think that everyone judges. And I think it has a lot more to do with, like, whether you act on it or not. You know, I think judging is something that... What's well, another one? Seems not so, it's not always bad. Hmm? It's not. It's not always bad. I think... Judging protects us. Judging is a protective mechanism. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's one thing I thought was interesting. I mean, even saying it that way is is definitely different than I've heard it in the past. What, judging protects us? That, uh, of judge, judgment not being a universally bad thing. Mm. I'll tell you right now, judgment is a very loaded word in my home because it's, a, it's something that's a really tough thing to do. I, I definitely, um, I would describe myself as having been raised in a very judgmental household. And so in a lot of ways, I think... I judge at times in which it's not very nice to do mm-hmm. so. And so I have been conditioned to feel like it is universally bad. Well, calling that. something wonderful is a judgment. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That po- positive, positive attributions that perhaps are offered without a lot of context are also technically judgments. Yeah, anything quali- any qualifier is a judgment. Yeah. Um, but like my mom, my mom taught me when I was younger that judgment was not necessarily a bad thing. Cause I remember, I used to I when I was a teenager I'd get so mad and I would t- call tell her that she was so judgmental, um, and she would be like, and she would respond with, um, well, we have to judge thing like judge things at times in order to like 
mm-hmm. make sense of the world. Judging is assessing. Judging is evaluating. Yeah. But I think where judging becomes uh, becomes problematic for people is when it's perceived to be offered without due cause or with yeah. disregard for context. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like you don't know me, and yet you think you know you. Th- you don't know me, but yet you think you know me. I think is what, or, or you know, like or you you yeah. don't know me, but you think you you think you know better than me. I think these are the sort of qualities of judging that are difficult. Yeah. Because people don't like to perceive that um, they are being placed on a lower, placed on a lower, um, you know, pedestal. Yeah, ethical stance or level, or, or level of behavior. Mm-hmm. Somehow, this other person's behaviors or choices are below mine, or below the other person. In any case, that was a surprising mm-hmm. thing. Um, okay, let's each share something that is happening in our lives that we are excited about. Well, I already kind of talked about mine in the beginning. The book. the book the book is very exciting it will continue to be i hope <laughs> continue to be very exciting as you mm-hmm. get into the uh, later stages um what's something that's going on for me oh i don't know um going out of town this weekend to get on some roller coasters oh right i'm pretty psyched about on that. saturday yes i am i love roller coasters and I went through many of my teenage years going to Six Flags every mm-hmm. summer. With this my, is America? Yeah, with my yeah. swim team. So it has been ingrained in me. And I would say I tend to yearn for a roller coaster day at least once every two or three years. So brand new uh, for me, going to Bush Gardens. And I've never been there before. So I'm pretty pumped. Well, I'm sad to miss out. I'm sad you're missing out too. I uh, that stuff. I honestly am like I like roller coasters, but I don't like waiting in lines. Mm, these things are diametrically yeah. opposed, and yet you cannot escape. I one know, the other. but I hate it. I know. <laughs> I remember one time I went to Disneyland, and one of our friends was in a wheelchair, and we got to the front of every line. It was great. <laughs> That's so nice. Yeah. That's so nice. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know what to expect. We, I don't think Bush Garden sells fast passes because I couldn't find them on the website. So, in any case, we'll hope for the lines being kind to us that day. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's me. So, that's what we had for you today. Another nearly two-hour episode. Um, It'll be over two hours. Yeah. Well, if you remember to put the intro. Uh, yes, this time <laughs> around. Um, apologies for all the tangents, but hopefully you enjoyed this discussion. Um, I enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and felt like it was insightful. And uh, we will tune in with you all, what do we think? Probably in, are we doing next week? Yeah. Okay, We'll, we'll see you next week then. Maybe Saturday. All right, thanks everyone. Bye.